really even think of making a career for yourself financially as we all go down the tubes. And plus, people are literally being killed off across the world. Killed off by different means in a depopulation program. That's what I'm going to go into, to say, tonight to show you how it really all ties together. Today's paper in the Daily Mail, the Mail Online, is almost giving you a schizophrenic picture of all the other newspapers to do with the riots in Britain as royalty meets presidents and prime ministers and they have a lovely cup of tea as armoured vehicles are on the streets in London. It's very interesting to watch how they're portraying this back with more after this break.
And then, of course, after all the hoopla uh, and mentioning of riots and armoured vehicles outside the Bank of England, you can always look into the female column on the right-hand side, where all the gossip is to do with people having affairs and all the rest of it. But at the top of it, they've got the First Lady uh, with her fashionable outfit on. This is amazing in the 21st century. This is the, this is the guff. The guff were fed by mainstream media. And, you know, I didn't even look at the other newspapers because I can pretty well tell they'll all be much the same as this one. Same format, too. Very schizophrenic. And, of course, the, the wording will be the same in them all as anarchists because they, they chose that word before these demonstrations started. They were, giving, they were calling them anarchists before they even turned up. They were calling them anarchists even two or three weeks ago. You see? Most people today don't even know what an anarchist is. All they think of is they're just unruly, unhappy people. Now, the previous demonstrations they had, such as yesterday, were the kind of authorized greeny ones, the ones who belonged to the big United Nations NGOs. And they had banners asking the people, asking the government for, for jobs. The G20, they're saying, give us jobs and good weather. That's what I call it, climate change. They're asking for good weather and jobs, you see, and fairness across the world. And Canada and different countries sent youth delegations, authorized, approved ones, you see. The goody two-shoes who've been brought up with the conditioning into the greening agenda that's ahead. And they sent them over, and other countries did the same thing. So they all had their little says yesterday. And today is time for the other ones who are very unhappy about every other circumstance in the world, including their own circumstances, which is often ten city. You see? They're getting labeled anarchists, while, as I say, the leaders of the world have their love in. And it's all pantomime. It's all pantomime. As I say, the G20 will come out of this saying, the people have demanded, meaning all the demonstrators, the authorized ones, that is, that they go full steam ahead with sustainability, the old utopian plan of depopulation is what they mean by that, if you don't know by now. And they'll also talk about the global economy has to be put under the IMF, which is exactly what the CFR, the Council on Foreign Relations, and, and the boys at the top with their big foundations, the Rockefellers and Rothschilds, have been saying for 50-odd years. That's exactly what they wanted. So it's going full steam ahead the way it's designed to go, and they'll come out after these meetings. These, it's really partying time. That's all they do is party, because all this stuff's really done all before and drafted up by bureaucrats for them just to sign. So this is pantomime. And they'll say that people have spoken. They want better weather, you know, climate change, and jobs and, and fairness across the world, and a good money system. And so... The existing international bankers who form the IMF and the World Bank will have the whole planet at their disposal then. And under sustainability, they'll ram ahead, but they're already starting. And that's forced, they're going into forced sterilization. If you didn't know by now, that's where it's going. Most of these big things are nothing but that. They're just pantomimes. As I say, all the legwork was done long before these guys meet. They get together. They have their, their, their parties, their tea and all the rest of it, and a few scotches, good meals, massive meals, as they're helping to sustain the planet. 
very expensive meals and many, many courses off. And uh, then they sign it into, into, into the done deal. And unfortunately, most demonstrators, whether they know it or not, the ones at the top certainly do, but uh, most the followers of demonstrations don't know they're helping the agenda along. You see, the Club of Rome was quite right in one thing, because after all, they'd studied society. They made sure that they controlled already most of the non-governmental organizations since they started them up in the first place. They became members of the United Nations. And the Club of Rome said there were simply too many conflicting organizations for democracy to work. That's why they chose communitarianism. What is communitarianism? You're seeing it with the NGOs. They each speak for the community. That's how they're putting it down, you see. And the people have demanded, etc., etc. And the government says, well, thank goodness you demanded that. We were just thinking about the same thing. And they sign it into law. That's the new system. That's the real. But they really mean at the top when they talk about democracy. And here we have it, too. You know, March 31st, BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, owned by the British government, by the way. And what's this main story? Earth population exceeds limits. So now they're telling you there's a limit to it. Before, they were just doing the drumbeat up to getting us thinking there's too many people, too many people. Now they're telling you there's actually a, an, a, it must be like a, a law of gravity, a magic number, you see. We've exceeded it. And here's how this story goes. And it's by Stephen Duke, editor. One planet, so globalist again. Here you go. World socialism run by the elite fascists. BBC World Service. It says, there are already too many people living on planet Earth, according to one of the most influential science advisors in the U.S. government. Nina Fedorov told the BBC One Planet program that humans had exceeded the Earth's limits of sustainability. Dr. Fedorov has been the science and technology advisor to the U.S. Secretary of State since 2007, initially working with Condoleezza Rice. Now, doesn't that make you feel nice and glowy and warm and safe? And what do you think these people are supposed to do? Just sit there and complain, there's too many people, there's too many people. You think that's what they do? No, that's not what they do. From the time of Kissinger, when he said that the most dangerous thing to the state, a clear and present danger, was overpopulation, plans went right into action, and they're still working yet, and accelerating. That's what they do. They don't sit with Condoleezza Rice and have a, a moaning session. Since under the new Obama administration, she now advises Hillary Clinton, I'm feeling safer all the time, aren't you? We need to continue to decrease the growth rate of the global population. You see, I've told you before too, it doesn't matter which group you vote in. Here's the same people behind the scenes. Who will you up there at the top? Just continuing through administration after administration. Same people with the same agenda. You've got to get that through your heads or you'll never get anything. There's one agenda. We need to continue to decrease the growth rate of the global population. The planet can't support many more people, Dr. Fedorov said, stressing the need for humans to become much better at managing wildlands and in particular water supplies. Well, we know they're privatizing it all for the big boys who already own the banks. They own 
many other things apart from banks. They also own water supplies. They should be a world corporation, you see. Pressed on whether she thought the world population was simply too high, Dr. Federoff replied, there are probably already too many people on the planet. Now, here's another kicker, you see. So, here you have sustainability, and now we've, we've gone over the population limit, this magic number that they haven't mentioned, you see. And you know these scientists are so damned accurate with, with all these incredible computers they have, the ones that constantly give you crisis. What kind of crisis do you want? Do you want a weather crisis? Do you, do you want a population crisis? What do you want? We'll give you the computer for it. And I'll continue with this stuff after the following break. through the matrix talking about the one system really it's across the world now and really is only one system those who are outside that one system are being killed off and altered right now in fact because they had refused to join it for so long the old Darwinian plan survival of the fittest those who are inferior must perish or be killed off because they'll bring the elite down the better evolved ones down if they're not eliminated basically and that's where we're going along this one road. This is the same system that gave birth to communism, mass murderers, credible mass murderers in the Soviet system. That was at it long before the other socialists came along, Adolf Hitler. In fact, Adolf learned a lot of what he went uh, through this agenda from the Soviets. They made the pact, remember? They made the pact in their earlier days Goebbels, the propaganda minister for Germany, had posters up comparing Adolf with Lenin. The agendas, you see, were so similar. Really the same. Again, all founded on not just Marxism, but Darwinism. Darwinism was the root of it all. And they had their lists of people, the Soviets had their lists of people who'd have to be eliminated, including the Scots, by the way. Including the Scots, because at that time, when Marx wrote his stuff, the Scots didn't care that much for money. They did a lot of bartering and trading, and they lived in small communities. They were not into manufacturing. And at that time, of course, they were also cleaving the highlands of these problem people. And that was by orders of London. Socialism, as I say, was never started by working class people. It was by those who already ruled, all the way from Thomas Malthus and before him. Getting back to this article here from BBC News on the wonderful Dr. Fedorov, who said there's simply too many people on the planet to same agenda. It says, GM foods, that's genetically modified foods, are needed. So he's just pushing this. No doubt there's a big kickback from the big companies. And that's how reality is, folks. That's how reality really works. Everything's kickbacks and rewards or directorships on boards. You don't have to attend board meetings, just be uh, on their, 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 their seat, basically. National Medal of Science.
Science Laureate America's Highest Science Award, the Professor of Molecular Biology, believes part of that better land management must include the use of genetically modified foods. Why? Why is that? Eh? Why must it? Why must it when the modified foods don't flourish in all countries? They're made for a standard type of climate and environment. And they've already found that with famines in the world since they've applied this genetically modified food and the crops to other countries that it's not often not sturdy enough to stand up to the different climates that they have. So why are they pushing it? Warfare, remember, starts at the bottom level. Even when they surrounded cities, you would go for their water supply and their food. Food can be used as a weapon. During World War II, Canada led the field in bio-warfare techniques, viruses, bacterium, fungus even. They were going to spread fungus across the German farmlands and kill off all their crops. What's happening today? You have fungus breaking out in Africa and different places across the Middle East as well. But it must be all be coincidence, right? Even though they had that perfected in World War II. Since we have six and a half billion people on the planet going rapidly towards seven, we're going to need a lot of inventiveness about how to use water and grow crops, she told the BBC. Except exactly the same technology as GM food and medicine, and yet in producing food we want to go back to the 19th century. Now remember, this person who's saying this will be backing the fact that they're taking the grain. The grain has been used for centuries and centuries across the world and is rapidly disappearing. It's just vanishing, really, because of the GM food. They're taking what's left of it and put in special places, often underground, for the future, for, the, for when most of them are dead and gone. You see, they can feed the future elites. And yet she's complaining here that we want to go back to the 19th century. So we, we actually want to use the old seeds, you see. We should be using the, the scientifically improved stuff. You know, science is good. Everything that's scientific must be good, right? So, you see, this is how our minds are controlled. And we don't realize there's only one, really one political movement that runs this world. And it's a form of socialism run by an elite. The elite who already rule and own capitalism. And it's to do with a a perfect number of population to serve the elite as we go through transitions and we are modified and eventually human clones are literally started from scratch in a test tube to serve the elite better. In the, in the meantime, they must manage us in the Soviet way. We forget that the Nazis talked about the new superior man. Where did Germany get that idea from? I'm going to put a link up at the end of the show to one of the best documentaries I've seen on socialism. You'll hear one of the founders of the Fabian Society, George Bernard Shaw, the man who wrote Man and Superman, and also advocated the elimination of inferiors. You'll hear him say in his own words, as he speaks and says, you'll have to justify your existence to us if you want to live. Is there a purpose for you? Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. And after reading that article there about the promotion of GM foods and how wonderful it's going to be to save the world as we reduce the population, according to the last person I mentioned, here's an article that goes along with it. It's from Digital Journal. I'll put these links up, remember, at the end of the show on my site, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. It says, South African farmers suffered millions of dollars in lost income when 82,000 hectares of genetically manipulated corn, maize, failed to produce hardly any seeds. The plants look lush and healthy from the outside. Monsanto has offered compensation. Monsanto blames the failure of the three varieties of corn planted on these farms in three South African provinces on alleged under-fertilization processes in the laboratory. Some 280 of the 1,000 farmers who planted the three varieties of Monsanto corn this year have reported extensive seedless corn problems. So this is the stuff they want to push across the world to create the famines. You see, that's part of it too. Never mind what it's doing to you, altering you at the same time. You are what you eat. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. Now, there's a a long-distance caller uh, from Jordan on the phone. It's Redwan. I'll take him right now uh, because it's uh, very expensive. Hello, Redwan. Are you there? Yes, hello. How are you? I'm surviving. How are you doing? Hello? I'm okay. Yes. Yes, I'm okay. I made it to uh, get out of my bed. Yes. Are, are you are you back in and Jordan now? I, I was... Uh, I, uh, what is it? You're, you're back home now. Because I know you went to Europe there to visit someone. No, I didn't go yet. It's uh, in May that I'm going. You're going, yeah. Do you have any questions? I'm going in May, and I'll stay two months. Yeah, yeah. Um, yesterday I was reading the article on the convict executioner organ harvesting van that they have introduced in China. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think and, of uh, it? The first thing I thought about, yeah, the th- first thing I thought about was uh, an ancient people uh, that was called. Gog and Magog. I don't know yeah. what you know about them. I, I read some on uh, Wikipedia, but you know, every uh, world religion has its own uh, um, view on this ancient yeah. folk. So, do you know something about them? Uh, that's not a conventional thing. Oh, they the talk about the battle. Again, it's, there's always a story to do with... Um a battle between forces, even going back uh, through Zoroastrianism and even earlier, they talk about the opposing forces of good and evil and Gog and Magog. And they also tie that in with the Old Testament. The Old Testament took a lot of stuff from pre-existing ancient uh, mythology or religion and also uh, added it into their own. So uh, it's to do with final battles, always good and evil, um, the eternal battles, you might say. 
they still say the final one is still to come. And you'll find this with the ancient Persian uh, histories too. Uh, the Persians really were so far ahead with this whole idea of uh, a, a clash between heaven and, and hell or earth at one time uh, that changed the whole universe when supernatural forces were unleashed. That's the basis of most uh, religions uh, from that area. But they say that it never ended, that another clash would come. That's what often Christians will, will say, the ones who believe in Revelation, that uh, the final battle is still to come. But apparently, according to old Persian folklore, uh, nothing was ever the same after that clash. It changed physically everything in the universe, and that everything that's alive today is a poor a copy, you might say, of that which once was. Man, trees, everything, uh, animals too. So uh, it's uh, an extensive ancient mm-hmm. history written in various tongues, but mainly from the, the old Persian region. Yeah. Okay, thank you for uh, your comment on that one. Yes, thanks for calling. And, uh, yeah, I mean, who's to say? Because the, the old story was that um, heaven and hell... Hell doesn't have to be somewhere else, and often they would say that that which happened in the world was was hell. And if the kingdom of heaven is within you, uh, then so is the kingdom of hell. That's your choice, in a sense. And we certainly have no problem looking at uh, the hell that's going around the world with mass slaughter and high-tech slaughter, etc., as you get better and better at killing people. And people can actually kill people remotely by sitting in some U.S. base in America, uh, while drones are, f- are flown by them using computers that blast people in their homes, some other country. It's all done hygienically, as they like to say in socialism. They're good at killing people hygienically and efficiently uh, without the, the human fallouts of those who have to go and put the bullets in the head. It's much more cleaner to do it from a distance. So hell is present all around us. And there's also Kyle from Connecticut. Are you there, Kyle? Hello? No. How are you doing? I'll go. Oh, you're there, yeah. Yeah. yeah go ahead. Yeah. yeah, it's good to uh, hear somebody talking about, um, you know, Persian fo- folklore. And I was wondering, uh, you know, there is only one order that runs this planet, and there's very few rebel forces. And, uh, in, you know, uh, folklore, I-, I read somewhere that, Barak was a winged horse that Muhammad rode to the seventh heaven, accompanied mm-hmm. by Gabriel, the archangel. And yeah. I wonder what your th- thoughts were on that. The the whole seven heavens idea is, as you know, it's, it's absolutely ancient, but it's also to do with degrees <laughs> of societies that existed even in those days. And uh, they also talk about Enoch as well, who did, went through the journey to the seven heavens. But it's also degrees and you become as white as snow. That was the standard uh, version of it, meaning you were purified. You'll find that in modern masonry, for instance, where they wear their white gloves, got to be white, and they wear their white apron so they can stand in front of the great white throne uh, and, and the final judgment, etc. It's the same idea that is very, very ancient. It went up through Mithraism and so on. And to the general public, they'd listen to these fascinating stories and literally, you see, if you talk in a picturesque language, and that's how holy books, especially, um, say, the Old Testament of the West is written, 
you can get the exoteric story and you'll picture it in your mind if you're a child you'll picture people wandering through deserts and so on and once that happens you can't see the esoteric that, that lies within it that's a technique that is used and it was used to its incredible full extent a long time ago yeah they don't need so much today because everything. they use movies you know? mm-hmm. so the, the idea of going to seven heaven was really that the old seven degrees of ancient times based on the seven planets that they knew of at that time as well. So um, I've, I've read some controversy about uh, the Dome of the Rock and Al-Aqsa Mosque mm-hmm. and uh, the confusion between the two. And it's, it's interesting when you, when you say Al-Aqsa backwards mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, where did Muhammad supposedly rise to heaven? Was it at the Dome mm-hmm. of the Rock or Al-Aqsa Mosque? Yeah, you know, that, that's it's, it's kind of up in the air. But it's the same thing even in the Hebrew writer, uh, uh, histories because supposedly, I mean, there are professors now in Israel in the universities. In fact, a book just came out recently by a top journalist that was lauded by these professors who say that there was no Solomon, etc. It was mythology. And, and they agree, too, that uh, if there was uh, a, an original uh, Temple of Solomon, it was not where this, this present one is. We know that that one was built under Herod, you know. And it didn't even, last even that the long. Pillar of Jacob? Yes. Well, the Pillar of Jacob, again, is, is, is uh, esoteric. It's, it's, um, you have to get beyond the picture and into the esoteric to understand it, uh, the ladder to heaven, basically. That also was done in Egypt, where they had the four pillars and the ladder going up to heaven. Uh, these are very, very old religions that borrow from each other as they transmutate into a new empire down the road. You'll notice down through history, the elite never disappear. They simply move. And it doesn't matter if they're wearing uh, the clothes of Egypt or Egyptian pharaohs at one time um, with their little apron on or, or moving into another country and using a, a different kind of hat. Uh, they, they never perish. The same in ancient Rome. The elites know well in advance what's coming down the pike, and they move on. We see that especially in the Middle Ages, where the bankers and those who owned the seas but because of their fleets of ship, they, they moved from one country to, to another from in Europe until they eventually settled in Holland and in, uh, in England. So this is, this is standard stuff all done through history. They, they generally like to surround themselves with water. They did the same thing in ancient Babylon. They would uh, literally alter the, the course of a river and make a man-made island in the middle, and that became their capital. Uh, you see the same thing with Venice. Venice was artificially created uh, by massive fills into the sea. Why the same symbology? Because the same leak come down through the ages, that's why. And they, with them comes incredible histories uh, of, of societies, empires that come and go, countries that rise and fall, and they never throw the, the, the histories away. But we definitely know there's an agenda at work, and they do know where they're going. And under the guise, uh, this clever disguise of right-wing and left-wing, as I say, it's, one, it's a one-party system. Isn't it? Uh, they, they do believe the world is theirs. They do believe that they're the most evolved people on the planet. And Darwin put that out uh, himself. He said that those from different races who can rise to the top of their own particular race are accepted in as being more evolved. But those who would not mimic the white man and his economy especially would have to be eliminated. 
that's still going on today. It doesn't matter if you're Chinese or, 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 a, or a black American. As long as you've come to the top, you've, you're now in the club. Your genes are superior, although the people you came from are left behind and they must perish. That, that's part of this elitist doctrine that is taught and preached amongst those um, who run the establishment. Yeah, they're just trying to get everybody to accept their system. Yeah. And uh, I think it's funny. On, I think it's on a $20 bill. Uh, the eagle is behind, from behind the shield and standing on top of it, and that's the Federal Reserve symbol. Yes, it, it is. But uh, the eagle is also, I don't think Americans don't even know. If you look at the, the, the symbol of Rothschild, his coat of arms, and all the fable they give us, they give us a fable of him copying, copying a shield. Nonsense. That's nonsense. Uh, there's a symbol in that shield, if you, if you uh, enlarge it, of the eagle. And the eagle has a shield, and the eagle is holding uh, an olive branch in one hand, just like the U.S. one, you see, and the spears in another. And obviously, what's the five ones for this and five for that, for the offspring of, of old um, Shaul Rothschild? It's more than that, because that was also the symbol of, of Ephraim and Manasseh in ancient times, highly symbolic of an alteration of a superior type of people from an original stock. That's what Manasseh is all about. Very, very ancient. Supposedly, they had the lands to the north of Israel. They bred with the Horites. The Greeks called them the Troglodytes, which were cave dwellers, tunnel dwellers. And in the, the, the Jewish folklore, uh, after breeding with them after generations, the tribe of Manasseh became red-haired, blue-eyed, almost albino, in fact, but incredibly aggressive, and they often fought down through the centuries against the rest of uh, ancient Israel, sometimes to be with them, sometimes against them. But, so you're looking at a symbol of a superior type through breeding. That's what you're looking at when you see that symbol of Ephraim Manasseh. And that's an incredible coincidence, isn't it, that the, the, the U.S. flag uh, or the U.S. seal has also has that uh, symbol of that eagle holding the olive branch and the arrows as well. You know, If you go into mythologies and you can understand the esoteric behind what they tell you, uh, a light really comes on. It's a blinding light comes on, and you, and you understand the whole story. We've been set up from the beginning uh, to go along this particular path. You also find out that one of the greatest eugenics societies within the United States was founded by a whole bunch of the founding fathers of the United States. They have the largest collection of eugenics material and special breeding, uh, etc., and it's still on the go today within the United States. It was yeah, started up by Franklin and Jefferson. Yeah. Big here in Connecticut. I mean, everybody uses the symbol of the tree. Yes. All the towns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, these troglodytes, they were, uh, blood drinkers too, weren't they? Well, some mythology is going to blood drinkers and all the rest of it. So even China has the same kind of stuff, you know, uh, about those who lived in the mountains within the hills. And the BBC did a lot of documentary about that years ago. So every country has its tales of that. But what you do know is for sure that, um, in ancient times, just like, uh, India, Anna Jones, with their, uh, when they went to Petra, the, the city that was carved out of rock, um, there were people who definitely, uh, uh, and these were not primitive dwellings, these were high architecture. And you go into even the falashas of, of Ethiopia, 
many of them were taken out and brought to Israel during one of the big famines. They left behind them inside the mountains, carved out churches inside mountains, perfect, beautiful, incredible uh, Masonic, I'm talking about stonemasons, handiwork. Uh, so these were ancient things that were on the go in ancient times. You also have parts of the U.S. too, where you had the so-called cave dwellers as well, with no records left of where they went to. But we have that their buildings still within the face walls. Yeah, you're a wealth of knowledge, Alan. Uh, I just hope people take your uh, food and water and aerial spraying seriously, because I was a... Uh... I was in the military, and I did chemical, biological, and radiological defense, and mm-hmm. it's uh, serious. It is serious. It's deadly serious, yeah. yeah. But thanks for calling. Thank you. And to tie this in with what I'm saying, here's an article here. It's put out about overpopulation again, but it's targeted mainly at the Catholic Church. And we put this link up as well. And it's, it says this is a resource for people concerned about the societies in which they live, discussing global security issues and show how one small political entity, the Vatican, in pursuing its own interest, has managed to control U.S. population policy. Now, the guy who writes this is one of the top eugenicists in, in the U.S. And here he's attacking uh, Catholicism against standard. He, he's funded by the Rockefellers and the big humanist societies again. So many different front organizations for socialism but I'm going to put this up on my site. And his name, actually, is Stephen Mumford. He often gets articles in the newspapers, but they don't go into his history. He started off in the military as a hospital administrator, providing uh, for service personnel and their families. He went right into ways of sterilizing the public, etc., Planned Parenthood, blah, 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 blah. Senior vasectomy counselor and later as director of research. On what? On infertility, creating infertility. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix and I'm tying in Dr. Mumford, this guy who's made a career, his life career of out of death basically. It says that in 77, he moved to, to a leadership position at the International Fertility Research Program. Now, what do you think that's all about? Now called Family Health International. Sounds wonderful. Family Health. Health's a good word. Family's nice, isn't it? Look into it. Focusing on the development, analysis, and program design of fertility regulating technologies. In other words, sterilization, folks. As well as the social, political, and religious pressures that keep reproductive services from people who want them. In other words, you must attack the religions, you see. Mumford founded the Center for Research on Population and Security in 84 to support and continue this work. It was at the FRR, IFRP that he began a long association with the health professionals. You know who? These guys these are all funded by the big foundations and Rockefellers again. It was always heartwarming about too many of us. It says, and scientists, and he helped develop the quinacrine pellet, non-surgical method of female sterilization. Isn't that wonderful? These are the characters who get write-ups and papers all the time, but they never go into this part of what they're really about or who's funding them and what's behind it all. Never mind the fact that their targets primarily, they start with the third world countries. They start with them. But what do they say now? Most people in the Western world, if they're not completely sterile now, shortly will be. And that's from their own announcements. 
did a documentary on the disappearing male. So we're on a roll. And where does it all come from? Well, I'll go back into Karl Marx. Karl Marx, who started the whole thing, he drew up a list after, after others had done the same list before him to do with who should survive the race and who shouldn't. And that became down through the ages of Fabian Society, backed by the Astors and the big foundations and George Bernard Shaw and all these boys, H.G. Wells, that worked for the, the Milner Group that became Royal Institute for International Affairs and Council on Foreign Relations. You see, that's where it all came from. And tonight I'm going to put up a link for you. It's incredible. It's, it ties it together. It's wonderfully done. Called The Soviet Story. The Soviet Story of how Nazism and the Soviet system were pretty well identical. And you'll even see the agreements they all signed between them and how much Hitler learned of how to dispose of millions of people. After all, the Soviets were the ones who killed off over 6 million people by design, starved them to death in the Ukraine. When they sold all their grain at the same time to the Western world, they starved to death the people who grew it. Why? Because socialism, by Design always kills off at least 30% when they take over 30% of the population minimum because they must restructure society. And they claim those who are not even into a capitalist system, those who grow and barter, etc., would never catch up. Therefore, they have to be eliminated. That was Marxist doctrine. That became socialist doctrine, whether it was communist socialism or Chinese socialism or Nazi socialism. It's all the same, funded by the same groups in the West. And there's Prince Philip, whose father had a Nazi uniform given to him by Heather. Meet Obama. Doesn't that make you feel better? Doesn't it? You can't put it all together, eh? You don't have much time to do so. I hear the music, so from Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.